Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Traditionally, financial planning advice is either only for those who are already wealthy or salespeople calling themselves financial advisors who say they'll give you free financial advice, but really just sell products to earn commissions. Fearless Finance takes a dramatic departure from either of those traditional models. Their entire business is built on making financial advice accessible and affordable because we know that financial literacy, stress reduction, and financial security are critical to overall well-being. I'm a little bit obsessed with Elizabeth, our Fearless Finance advisor. I've had an array of advisors in the past who answered questions like, should we be spending less on this with evasive answers like, it depends on your priorities. Not Elizabeth. She answers with actually helpful guidelines. You're spending more than the average family of five, or I'd like to see this increase by 6%. Uh, thank you. This is Fearless Finance's mission, to make advice affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge you by the hour. You only pay for the time you use down to a quarter hour. Their planners meet with you where you are on your financial journey, no judgment. Visit fearlessfinance.com today. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit and you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use the code pantsuit. That's fearlessfinance.com and use code pantsuit for $50 off your first planning meeting. Nothing in U.S. politics went well this week. We saw the worst in Congress, the worst in our candidates, and the worst in our voting processes. We don't know how to explain why so many things unraveled, but we do know that this week needs a do-over. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Briefcase. We set up a reader survey this week, and we would absolutely love it if all of you who haven't already, and huge thank you to those who have, um, could fill it out. We're trying to get more information on what you guys are looking for, where you're at, um, for so we can build a better show for all of you. And we will pin the surveys at the top of our Facebook page and Twitter feed, so they're easy to find. Also, we're still taking orders on the t-shirts. We officially ordered some, which means we have a finite inventory. So if you want a Crazy Moderate or Pantsy Politics t-shirt, now is the time, people. Go to PantsyPoliticsShow.com and get your t-shirt. So we thought on today's episode that we would do our normal Friday feedback and then actually try to give this horrendous week in politics the do-over that we talked about at the top of the show. Um, We don't want to be horribly negative. So instead of just being negative, we'll talk about maybe what could or should have happened instead of what did. 
So the first uh, Friday feedback that I thought we'd talk about, we got a great email from Rachel, who we love to hear from um, occasionally, and she mentioned an organization called She Should Run, and we'll put some information about this in our show notes. Um, Rachel talked about how it usually takes five to ten times to get a woman to believe that she can run for office compared to zero to one time for most (laughs) men. Um, And and I liked this note from Rachel. Um, She says, I wholeheartedly believe if women ran everything, everything would be better. Not because I believe women are better at everything, but because I know from academic studies that women tend to be consensus-driven leaders, while more men tend to be hierarchy-driven leaders. And um, I think that's a really good uh, kind of wrap up of the conversation that we had with Rebecca Traster mm-hmm. in terms of translating the information from all the single ladies and a lot of Rebecca's work to our community. Not that we would discourage any men from seeking office either, but certainly that women tend to need more of a push and we want to be here to do our part in giving that push. Well, and the thought I just had when you said consensus driven leaders versus hierarchy driven leaders is. I think that our economy and our world based on technology and sort of ever-changing, the ever-changing industries and ever-changing environments that technology sort of push, consensus-driven is more valuable, right? I mean, we're not really living in this industrial economy anymore where hierarchy is to be valued and sort of things work in that way. And so maybe that's why there's, there should be, there's a real argument for, all consensus-driven leadership, but particularly coming from women, because that's really sort of the way our world works now. It's yeah, more, it's not as high. It's not as it's not as you know hierarchical. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're just a network-driven mm-hmm. landscape right now, right in every way. And um, I think that's right. I think that's part of why this race is unfolding in some of the ways that it is. It doesn't explain everything, but. You, you have a couple of people in the race right now who are really effective, for better or worse, at sort of speaking to the masses and making everyone feel a part of their movements, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think that there are lots of reflections of being a more networked world. And, and I totally agree with Rachel that um, we need to start asking. So if you think about that statistic five to ten times to encourage women to run, I I would encourage all of us to make that part of our habits, right? When we see women who are great leaders to, to just be one of those five or 10 people saying, Hey, have you thought about, Hey Beth, I think that you're a really great leader. And I really think that you should think about running for office. Hey, thanks, Sarah. I am so glad that you are running for office and I will continue (laughs) to support you doing so. (laughs) Um, Really? And I can't uh, recommend enough raising Miss president, which is a documentary about this exact issue. And it's not just that women have to be asked a lot. It's that women overestimate the um, experience they need to run. Like they think they need, you know, to be older and have decades of career experience and community experience. And men are like, yeah, sure. I just graduated. Let's do this. Let's let's run for office. I would put in that category to sort of the philosophy we've been discussing on guilt, because I think there is this voice in my mind often that says, well, when my children are older. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's that doesn't create a world for my children to be older and that I'm very excited about. So and friendly reminder for all the moms out there, I'll link to this blog post I wrote, but there was a really great study a few months ago. I wrote um, sort of a series about the science of parenting. And the truth is, from ages three to ten, 
Um, there's all these all these great studies in science that says children don't need quantity of time with you. They need quality of time. Peers play a much larger role. So I think we have this image of we really need to, as mothers, we need, and parents generally, we really need to be all up in our kids' grill all the time. It's really just the science does not support that. So release yourself from that guilt, everyone. But let me tell you, as somebody running for office, you know, I had somebody tell me the other day, well, you should be careful taking your kids knock on doors because um, it can sort of bite you in the butt because people will think, well, you really need to be home with these little kids, not running for Paducah City Commission because it's this 60-hour-a-week job. Oh, someone said that to you, like, mm-hmm. out loud? Yeah, I mean, it was an, it was a friend who's supportive, and she was just pointing out that she'd heard that. It wasn't like she was like, don't do it because you need to be home with your kids. But that's apparently a thing people think. And, I, I mean, I can feel it from people. Like, I can – I feel like one door I knocked on a woman sort of – she didn't say that, but – she was basically like, sort of like, you're busy already, huh? Sort of like that. You know what I love about you, though? I really like how you are willing to just run right into all of those things. Like, I was thinking again about how what we do is more of an invitation than a sales platform. And I feel like you've approached your candidacy that way, too. Like, how you are willing to do this podcast despite your, run- your running for office. How you write on your blog with all this vulnerability and openness I think you're just taking all those roles and saying, look, that doesn't work. And I'm willing to work under all these circumstances and I'm being honest with you. And can't you get excited about that honesty? I don't know. I just, I really admire what you're doing. Well, I told a friend the other day, I said, you know, I just feel like this model in which we say you run for office and you win at all costs has not really gotten us the best leadership. Like maybe we don't want people who say, I want this at all costs. Maybe we want people who say... I want this within the framework of my ethics and my life. And if that works, it works. And if it doesn't, that's fine, too. Well, I also look at a woman with three children and say, if I want somebody who can get stuff done, there you go. I, I actually wrote that in a in a candidate questionnaire the other day. It was like, what qualifies you? And I said, I know on paper, it sounds like the law degree and sort of the uh, marketing and communications experience is relevant. But let me tell you, um, Working, nothing sort of crystallizes your priorities and teaches you to work with a finite amount of resources and energy and time, which government is always working within, like parenthood, nothing. Like having three kids, I have a finite amount of time, energy, and resources, and I have to sort of constantly be juggling other people, other stakeholders. I got three stakeholders. And let me just tell you, there's no, there's no demanding stakeholder like a one-year-old. So, you know, balancing all that and, and sort of figuring out, um, how to make it work, which I think is sort of the role of government, is, you know, motherhood, nothing teaches you that like motherhood. And that's an example that other women can look at and say, okay, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you see women running, and, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but who who make all of the adjustments that you, that people would advise one to make in running, then you say, I just can't do that or I won't do that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not important enough to me to do that. But when you look at it and you see someone, you know, taking her kids door to door, then you go, well, okay, I can fit this into my life. You know, I can bring it all to the table. So good for you. Hey, listen, baby Felix sat through a two hour um, city commission meeting on city hall renovations the other day. Nicholas had, he's the school board attorney. He had a school board meeting. My two kids went to a friend's house, my two big kids, and I took him with me, and he um, 
made a mess and sat and played and, you know, did it all. It was late at night. And I, and there, but there was still the voice in my head that was thinking like, I'm here as a candidate and I have my baby. Are people going to be like, oh, she doesn't, you know, she can't even come to these meetings. And I thought it just, it is what it is. He's here with me. I'm introducing to him. Listen, maybe I'll raise an architect after he sat through two hours of sort of <laughs> architecture plans. And I just, I, it is what it is. I had to do it. So. Well, speaking of it being what it is, um, we got this really great tweet from Susan asking if we are nervous after we put a new episode out. And I just I loved everything about that question. Um, So, Sarah, you can start if you want to on on responding to that. You know, I've said this before that constantly as I'm speaking, I'm thinking it's really hard to sort of quiet the voice in your head that says, oh, people aren't going to like that. Oh, I hope you didn't hurt anybody's feelings. Like, I'm sort of constantly worried about hurting Bren's feelings as a Bernie supporter because <laughs> I love him so much and I don't want to hurt his feelings. And so, I, you know, I try to make sure it's always coming from a good place of, like, being supportive of our community and just quiet it when I can and trust my gut and my instinct and – I'm actually less nervous. I'm nervous in the moment of doing it, but not really nervous once it's out there. Because once it's out there, what am I going to do about it? I agree with that. And I also um, thought about something. So Emmy is one of our great community members also. And I came to connect with her through a writing class called Verb Tribe that Patty Dye um, offered. And the central premise, and I've talked about this a little bit before on the show, I think, of Verb Tribe was as a writer, you don't write to publish a bestseller that gets turned into a movie and have millions of dollars in the world claiming that you're a genius. You write because it's in you to write. Mm -hmm. And then you put out your writing without any attachment to whether people will like it whether people who see themselves in it will be hurt by that, whether it will flatter people, you know, you, you just write what's in you to write. And then you put it out there and you detach from the outcome of whatever that strong offer is. And I feel like doing this podcast is, is my version of that. And I think we both do this, you know, we just have to make our strong offers and detach from the outcome because we aren't trying to sell anything. Look, if we were trying to, if we were striving for this podcast to be something um, enormous and giant and money-making, we would take the easier path of arguing with each other, right? Because we know that that argument sells. (laughs) I think instead we're trying to invite people to participate in a conversation that is the kind of conversations that we think move the world forward. So, um, So there is always anxiety in me, like, if I think too much about who listens, you know, do people I work with listen? Do people who don't know me well, but sort of know me listen and feel like, what's going on with this? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think about the fact that my parents listen, and I I think, oh, should I filter any of what I say? But no, I don't, because this wouldn't be a very good thing to listen to if we both edited all of that out. So anyway, I really appreciated the question. And, and I think that's really connected to this idea of running for office, too. Anything that requires that kind of vulnerability, I feel like you just have to take the patty die approach of making your strong offer and then not worrying about what happens from there. I always like Anne Lamott's quote. Um, I think it's from Bird by Bird. She says, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. And I love that. <laughs> so I, I always try to keep that in mind. Like, I'm going to tell, I'm going to speak from my experience and my perceptions. And if Donald Trump wanted me to speak warmly about him, he should have behaved better. There you go. 
Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We use our phones for everything at this point, but did you know that you can use it for some sexy me time? Don't worry, your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library, a fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. My son Oliver is almost two. The desire for more hours in the day has never been more real for me in my life. An extra hour for reading, for sleeping, for working, for playing, I could use any of it. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to then make it a priority. Therapy can help you figure that out, help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. Just last week, my mom actually asked me about my experience with BetterHelp after hearing ads like this one for it. And I'm telling you what I told her. BetterHelp was the perfect solution for me in a time of my life when I had too many plates to juggle, but still very much needed to talk to someone about the experience of keeping all those plates in the air. BetterHelp made therapy easy and accessible right when those were qualities I needed most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a very brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Katie sent us an article that I'm sure resonated with you, Sarah, about how there's this narrative that there's an enthusiasm gap between Clinton supporters and Sanders supporters and how she, as a Clinton supporter, finds that very frustrating, especially given the numbers. And and I think it goes to the idea that there can be a quiet enthusiasm. Um, But I think you're much more well-suited than I am to comment on this. Yes, I find – yes, that's my comment. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very frustrating. And it's frustrating to sort of see all these um, articles posted implying that she's cheating or she's committing voter fraud or there's some big mass conspiracy. You know, 
a lot of people have voted for Hillary Clinton, a lot. And a lot of people have done it enthusiastically, like me. And it, it is, it's very, very frustrating to see, to, you know, that the story is she's just the establishment and um, people are just, you know, voting for her for these very pragmatic reasons. Um, Lena Dunham and uh, I think it was, who's, I think it was America Ferreira, uh, spoke with Chelsea Clinton at an event in Los Angeles, and they both sort of spoke to this that it's very frustrating to feel like you're this enthusiastic supporter, and you ha- and you know all these other people who are enthusiastic supporters, and the story doesn't get told. But I will say this: I don't. Think, I mean, we are not the only. Every candidate has a frustration about the story being told about them or their supporters. Every single one in this race. So, I mean, I think it just speaks to maybe we can't. There's not um, sort of a framework within our current media environment to be to 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 tell the completely the complete story of any candidate, and so as a result, everybody's supporters are going to be frustrated to a certain extent. Justin sent us a great message about the frustration happening with Bernie Sanders supporters, and and he commented on hearing from a number of Sanders supporters that if Sanders doesn't get the nomination, they're going to write him in in the general election. And he expressed his understanding of that frustration, but also felt it was maybe a dangerous approach given the likely Republican nominee. I I really appreciated the message because I think that it goes to something that I've been giving a lot of thought to in this cycle, which is voting in a way that is not strategic and whether we would be served or not served by getting away from strategic voting. Yeah. I mean, I'm a pragmatist to my core. So I love Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. I've, I've slowly, slowly shifted from my radical college days to the person I swore I would never be, which is my mother, <laughs> who my mother said, you'll see when you get older and you just see that things don't change as quickly. And I never wanted to be that person, but you know, that's who I am. I believe, I think that strategic voting is you deal with the reality of the candidates you have and not, um, sort of protest against, because it it feels very empty to me from my pragmatic point of view. But I mean, I can see the arguments both ways, just not where I fall. But that's the same. So, so I hear everything that you just said and, and mostly agree with it. I mean, I'm super pragmatic as well. That is the same logic that is being shoved down the throats of Republicans like me in favor of voting for Ted Cruz. And I'm never going to do that. I'm never, ever, ever going to do that. So it's hard. I feel like it's different, though, because I feel like the difference. Well, maybe it's not. I mean, I feel like between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, um, it's a really a discussion amongst those who feel most strongly um, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. Like, I feel like within Hillary and Bernie, like the ma- the majority of people are like, you know what? I'll vote for either. It's fine. I prefer this one. I prefer this one. But I don't feel like I feel like you have a few outliers, particularly in the Bernie Sanders camp who feel like this revolution is needed and this, you know, the system is rigged and all these things. And, and they feel very strongly. But and we're talking to those people, right? We're talking to the like the super extreme supporters, whereas I feel like in the Republican Party, you have the extremes driving the conversation and all the people in the middle are the ones being argued to 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 take the strategic vote. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like it's different. I feel like um, a majority of Democrats are like, 
I feel okay with my choices. I can go either way. And you have sort of people on the the far extremes who you're trying to make this argument about strategic or um, sort of protest votes. Whereas in the Republican Party, I feel like the people in the middle are the ones getting left behind. And they're the ones being pushed to take an extreme candidate's position on as the strategic vote as opposed to – does that make sense? It does make sense. I guess I'm I'm trying to challenge – um, my perspective of both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and and put myself in the seat of someone who's passionate about Bernie Sanders and who really dislikes Hillary Clinton, right? Mm-hmm. We, I think the people that we talk to, for the most part, do fall into that camp of, hey, I think they're both fine. I'd rather have one or the other, but I can get on board with the nominee. I, I can see, if I really stretch my own thinking, I can see how someone who's very passionate about Bernie Sanders would be unwilling or unable to support Hillary Clinton because of viewing her as a continuation, and not just a continuation, but an integral part of a system that they just reject. No, no, I definitely understand that. Like, I understand that that's who we're talking to in the Democratic Party. My point is, though, that when you're talking about strategic, it's not the same argument when you're talking to a Republican voter because you're not talking to um, a passionate supporter of Ted Cruz and making the argument that they should um, make a strategic vote for Donald Trump so that you have enough. Right. Right. You're, right. you're making an argument to a mass amount of Republicans who are like, Bleh, you know, and then you're saying you're saying you're you're making the argument they need to support an extreme candidate. Um, with extreme solutions or strategies or theories or proposals. And so I feel like it's sort of, it's a flip-flop of the, it is. Yeah, the I argument. Well, I don't think I have an answer about strategic voting other than to say, you know, as for me in my situation this election, I'm voting my conscience all the way through. Mm-hmm. And whether that's um, to my own peril or not, that that's just that's the only decision I can live with this time. And I think and I and I don't feel inconsistent telling both now it's it's not inconsistent and it's not a difficult argument for me to make because um strategically it works out fine for me either way. Right. So I don't feel bad <laughs> telling a Bernie supporter vote your conscience because I feel pretty confident that my candidate will win anyway. And I don't feel bad telling somebody in the opera, somebody like you to vote your conscience because and but it's, when I tell people to vote their conscience, I, it's just because I feel like the the strategic benefit is sort of secondary to. I do understand, like I could never, I could never cast a vote for Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, right? And right. I could, but I could vote, I could cast a vote for Bernie Sanders. So I mean, I I I think that there is a there's nothing wrong with saying I have to vote my conscience either way, I guess. Well, we'll move on from the feedback from here. Thank you all so much, and please stay in touch with us. Uh, Up next, we are going to give this week a badly needed do-over. So we talked about, with Jimmy, the congressional hearings on Flint in which Rick Snyder said he's quote unquote kicking himself and they all played politics and basically just didn't care about the reality of the situation or the people suffering. So what should have happened, Beth? 
Well, first, uh, let's be Rick Snyder, who repeated his I'm kicking myself remark in his testimony. So if I'm Rick Snyder, I think I go to Congress to say this was so awful and I am ashamed and devastated If I could resign and fix this through my resignation, that's what I would do. I don't think that that will happen. So here's my plan to move things forward. Do you agree with that or have anything to add? No, that's perfect. Yes. Again, my comment is agreed. Okay. So now I'm going to be Jason Chaffetz, who chaired these disastrous hearings. And I think that Congress ought to say, Okay, well, we don't want to keep you here and have a big circus that detracts from your ability to go fix this problem. So we have one question, which is, what do you need from the federal government to fix this right now? Done. Done. And then we adjourn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so that's how Flint should have gone. Flint, (laughs) done over. Solved. Yes. Um, Then we had this horrific attack in Brussels. And in the wake of that attack now, so we're doing a do over for U.S. politics. Obviously, we would give anything to be able to go back in time and undo this tragedy. Just and want to say for the record on one of our first podcasts, what did I say about Brussels? Yes, him, you did. I told them to get it together. And I'm not sure they did. Just saying. You did. And and it's really, I mean, not to do a big detour here, but the the, the people who they think did this were on their radars. Yeah. It's just, I mean... I was just listening to NPR and it's like they were trying, they're just, it's, they're years behind where they need to be as far as um, security issues. And they tried to ramp it up as quickly as possible. But when you're 10 years behind where you need to be, you know, you can't fix that in a couple months. And that's what is so frustrating about anytime everyone's running for president and, and pointing out all of the negative in America we have problems. Absolutely. But like we do some things really well. And I feel like anytime you start to look at the international scene, it makes me appreciate being an American. It really does. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to my friend Trent, who is just like, he has, he has served in Afghanistan a couple of times. He's just an objectively honorable and humble and smart, wonderful person. But um, we were texting on election day and he said, you know, I just always have a spring in my step when I vote, even if I don't like any of my options, because I go to the polls. It's not dangerous. There's no one intimidating or coercing me to vote a certain way. Like I have seen what happens in the rest of the world. And it just makes me proud of our process, Mm -hmm. even if I'm not excited about the people involved. So, okay, I'll, I'll get back on track here. So in the wake of these attacks... Um, We have Donald Trump out talking about the need to use more enhanced interrogation and his willingness to torture people for information. Uh, Ted Cruz talking about needing to police Muslim neighborhoods in the United States to make sure that they don't become radicalized. And I struggle to put that into words because I'm not sure what he's even talking about. I think it's so crazy. And and I sent an email out about this to people who subscribe to our emails. And then we have um, criticism of President Obama for his trips to Cuba and Argentina in the in the middle of all of this. So, Sarah, would you like to talk about what a reasonable response to the tragedy in Brussels would have looked like? Um, well, we can stop by not being or we can stop. We can start by not being racist, which I find is always a good starting point. And not a hard one. 
really. Yeah, really it's not. It's really not. My favorite point is I saw some interview with him where somebody said, <laughs> basically, do you even know how many Muslims are in the country? And he was like, no, no, I don't. And the woman was like, three million. There are three million Muslims in the country. So exactly where would you even begin with your terrible racist suggestion? She didn't say it like that, although I think she should have. Um, I also really liked um, the New York City police chief's response. Did you hear his response? Yes, Bill Bratton was terrific. Yeah, he was like, um, shut up. And I, my police force is filled with Muslims. So how dare you, basically? Well, so is so, our military. Yeah, good for you. Good for you, reasonable human being. So let's start there. Just act like a reasonable human being. Always a good choice. Yeah, I don't understand any response to this other than what a what a tragedy. We have to be much more collaborative as an international community to stand up to this threat and help keep one another safe. And go on from there. Like, you're not the commander in chief yet. You do not have access to all the information. I don't know how you look at something that just happened in Brussels, as you have pointed out aptly, where there there is there is a powder keg in, in Belgium right now, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is a totally different situation than the United States. Why are you talking about treating people in the United States badly? And I think John Kasich had the best response, although I would ask the Kasich camp to consider the wonderful email that we got from Hassan, mm-hmm. because there is this continuing theme of, look, we need Muslims, them, to help us. Uh-huh. And in America, they we, are us. They are us. Yep. We all need to work together, mm-hmm. period. Um, because we are protecting their lives, too. Thank you very much. Exactly. The because idea that we would just use Muslims to keep ourselves safe is offensive and ethically bankrupt. Like, I want to protect their lives as well. Thank you. Because they're because they're us. Because there's no difference between me as an American citizen and a Muslim American citizen. Ugh. There's just not. I mean, we're, so, so that's frustrating. The other thing that I would say, so let me be um, Mitch McConnell for a second or something. Oh, Ugh. do you have to be? I mean, I'm just going to try for a moment. I, I okay. think on the, the discussion of President Obama in Cuba and Argentina – the first thing I would do in my do-over is maybe just not talk about that because I don't think it requires a comment. Yeah, seriously. I love the quote about how maturity is recognizing all the things that don't require your comment. So mm-hmm. that's where I would begin. If I was going to say something about it, I think the only thing I would say is, look, I think that the president's diplomatic efforts in Cuba and Argentina are important. Has it all unfolded as I would have hoped? No, but um, I am encouraged by what's happening in our relations with those countries. I might have made a different choice in responding to this crisis in my tone or approach, um, but I support the president, and, and these events remind us how important it is that we all come together. Mm-hmm. The end. The end. Except for not. Do we want to get – do we have to give Trump a do-over? Is it necessary? Well, he wouldn't take it, so it doesn't matter if we give him a do-over or not, I guess. That's so true. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Traditionally, the advice would be pick one. But thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ugh, ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. bra plum. 
Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. That's code PODCAST15. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Speaking of Trump, there was, <laughs> it's like hard to even discuss this, right? And it was hard to have the news on this morning and see some of the images on the news with my daughter wandering in and out of my room. So I eventually just turned it off. But, um, a, a pack that we've talked about really briefly on the show, Make America Awesome, put out an, an anti-Trump ad on Instagram targeted to LDS women in Utah in advance of the Utah caucuses. The ad features Melania Trump from a GQ um, spread, and it says something like, meet your future first lady, or you could just vote for Ted Cruz. It's horrible. Okay. I mean, like it's, it's objectively awful. And I am really disappointed in the people who put this ad out that like it is slut shaming at its finest. Mm -hmm. It insults a woman who is, is very smart. If you know everything that you hear about Melania Trump, she speaks five languages. You know, she she is a businesswoman in her own right. And and also she's not running. And if we could leave some of these things out of it would be great. And so also, it's a terrible just ad. Not to be uh, ugly, but she's married to Donald Trump, hasn't she suffered enough? Do we really have to bring her into this? Well, the other thing I would say is I think it's insulting to Mormon voters to um assume that this type of propaganda is going to appeal to their sensibilities. I mean, it's almost treating Mormon voters like they're puritanical or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just I find the whole thing to be really unfortunate and and worse. So this ad comes out and then Trump, of course, responds on Twitter and says that, you know, Lion Ted needs to be careful or he'll spill the beans about Heidi Cruz. I don't know what that means. Um, I've seen some speculation. I don't want to repeat any of it because, again, not relevant, very ugly and incredibly insulting to an, an extremely accomplished woman who's mm-hmm. not running for office. So what should have happened? Well, first, the ad never should have come out because mm-hmm. there is plenty to. Um, to yeah, seriously. There's plenty of content. Plenty about of content. Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and then secondly, I think after it happened, you know, Trump should have just come out and and said what we just said about Melania Trump, right? Yeah. 
this is, but he doesn't really have any ground to stand on because he's engaged in these kinds of tactics himself, right? Yeah, that's true. And then I think Ted Cruz, instead of responding on Twitter and, you know, quoting Aaron Sorkin movies, should just say, this is beneath us. This is not what the process is about. And and we're not doing this. I mean, I think we're both wishing that Ted Cruz and Donald Trump were different people. And unfortunately, they are who they are. So the last thing we can touch on briefly is that our voting has been a a real cluster in the, the Western primaries. Super long lines. It looks like especially in Maricopa County, Arizona. Yeah, they went from, I just read it, it was like, the, they went from 400 to 200 to 60 voting locations over like, you know, six years. And the whole point was to save money. What? Now, I feel I like this to... is coming for us in Kentucky, Beth. I really feel like it is. Well, it could be. Um, and it did happen. There was There were complaints in my county. Now, I thought my county did a very good job with limited resources and short notice in hosting a a caucus for the first time. But my county is like pretty much all Republican, and it was a very long wait to get in to vote. I didn't mind because I'm never going to complain about voting, but um, but there were some budget restrictions on on getting people to vote. And that is particularly bad. I mean, it doesn't bother me because I'm a professional I'm, I have the luxury of working for an employer who's going to support my decision to wait to vote. I can do lots of work while I'm waiting for anything, right? Mm-hmm. But there are so many people that can't say those things, right? And so it's really disenfranchising. I I am for um, reduction of waste and uh, good stewardship within government. If we can't get people to vote, we're doing it all wrong. I mean, this we, is where we am, need to spend some money. Am I wrong? Am I the only person who feels like there's just not this massive amount of waste in voting? Like, that's just not an area in which I feel like we're just spending money hand over fist and there's all these savings to be had. I don't have I don't know anybody in the country who has a particularly luxurious voting experience. I don't really understand where this argument is coming from in the same way that I don't understand the voter ID laws to protect against voter fraud, because I just don't think there's that much voter fraud. I don't think these are huge you know, in the scheme of problems in our country, this is not one of them. Well, I agree about voter fraud where I think I don't think it's intentional waste in voting. I think it's archaic. I mean, we have some systems that are just horribly flawed and outdated. Um, And I think that I think we should invest in the infrastructure to let more people vote online. Mm -hmm. I, I think that would be less expensive in the long run. I think it would open up more opportunities for people to vote when it's convenient. Now, I do think we need to look at our calendars and sort of narrow the windows for early voting. But if you could vote from your phone, doesn't oh. matter that you have a smaller window and of time to do it. And there's clearly a demand. Kentucky set up online voter registration and like 10,000 people used it in the first week or something. Yes. And then you still have some places where people who don't have access to Internet can can go to vote. But I, I mean, I feel like this is a huge problem that that must be addressed. What What are we as a democracy if we can't get voting right. So true. So it, so we're going to give that a do-over and just say, Sarah and I have invested a bunch of money in our um, voting resources. You can now vote online. You have um, a three-day period to do it so that we don't strangely have someone who's not running anymore getting 14% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to make sure that as many mm-hmm. people as possible have access to those systems. Done. You're welcome. 
Well, I hope that that was maybe a positive, a more positive way to tackle what's been a really embarrassing week. Um, And we appreciate all of the communication with you guys throughout this week and are doing our best to keep up with all of your tweets and Facebook messages and emails and please keep them coming. Uh, Thanks for joining us. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at PantsuitPolitik and on Facebook. Uh, Subscribe to our email list and keep those reviews and ratings on iTunes coming. You guys have been so awesome about it and helps more people find Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so much. Keep it nuanced, y'all. 